So welcome to this very special episode of Tetari with Wale. We have uh, we have a very special guest. Episode forty five. He is he was one of the most powerful people in Singapore at one point in time, and uh, he was a former Minister of Foreign Affairs. But I think people tend to forget that you were also the Minister of Health, Information, and and Arts, and Ministry of Trade and Industry as well. You were the Minister for MTI. Uh, so I'm very pleased to have him, and I really recommend everybody must get this book. This is a must read, and uh, it has a lot of fascinating insights. So thank you so much, Mr. Yeo, for agreeing to be, to do this. Uh, and when I was reading this, by the way, uh, there are two more uh, volumes in this series. Okay, so this is just part one. This is just series one. So uh, one of the things that uh, you can do uh, is uh, wait. Uh, in January and May, we will uh, he will publish the the other two. And when I was reading this, Mister Yu, and the first part, and I think we have to start with this because the 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 first series it seems that one of the main things was not only about China and but it was also about Chineseness and your own Chineseness as well. Uh, and you've also done numerous interviews and given a lot of talks. You've uh, stated your views. So I wanted to ask specifically about your views on China, right? In light of uh, PM Lee's National Day rally, do you think your views today are at odds with our governments on China specifically? I was making a general point about uh, the importance of identity uh, to a person. So when I saw that your name is Walid Dunga, <laughs> my immediate question to you was: Are you related to the great man from Lebanon <laughs> and uh, the Druze leader? You know? Uh, and you told me that your father admired him, and this is how you got your name. So we, we didn't have time, but I'm very curious to know how did your father decide to kind of look up to what he tried. Right, right, right. uh, I know, know something about him, but not that much. <laughs> so to, to me, it fills me with curiosity. <laughs> and I believe that uh, we should respect a person's identity. If this is important to you, I respect it. If this is what is of interest to my my son or daughter to my friend, I respect it. And when we do that, their respect is returned. Then we become a good company, we become a nice society. But if you if, if there's a suspicion that why why you why you name after a foreigner? Mm -hmm. why, why why do you say you're Chinese? I mean why are you wearing a tudor? People feel very uptight, you know then a society becomes suffocating. I don't think that's good for Singapore. Singapore should be a place where we are free and we share a common space, not because each of us is retreating all the time, but because each of us is enlarging all the time and the area of overlap uh, right. increases. Right. And I think that was one of the themes, right? Like you are, you're talking about overlapping the, uh, the common space and enlarging, and you mentioned specifically enlarging people's hearts as well, right? Uh, so I, I, I do want to get to that, but specifically on, on, on the issue of foreign policy, for instance, do you think, because I've, I've uh, listened to Minister Shamugan who has spoken a lot on, on foreign interference, Ambassador Bilahari, because you can you know very well. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> he's my Yes, your yeah, and he's very, he's been very vocal, and for the longest time, he's been very vocal about Chinese influence in Singapore, and PM Lee's speech was in Mandarin. Uh, about foreign interference, do you think that today your views would be different 
than those there or and if you I was curious if you were foreign minister like how would your views jive with with the government? I've always had these views before I entered politics and when I was minister for various things. I don't think my views have changed. Mm. I've never hit my Chinese-ness, I've always rejoiced in it. But I've always uh, been very intrigued and curious and rejoiced uh, in other people's identities. And uh, so I feel close to, to the Hadramis, I feel close to the Boras, I feel close to uh, uh, the Chetias. Shambhukam is a, is a Chetia. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I think that, that, that's, that's a good thing. It's not, it's not, it's not a bad thing. Uh, and, and does it affect the way I uh, exercise my duties as a Singaporean minister? Uh, not at all. Uh, in fact, in some ways, it, it, it um, uh, made it easier for me to relate to others. So one reason why I became such a close friend of Chidambra, mm. the Indian Minister for Home Affairs and Finance and various other things, uh, was because I'm very interested in him being a Chetia. Mm. And I went to his hometown in Chetina and he showed me the house where he was born. Uh, big mansions owned by the Chetia merchants, a lot of it, from money made in Myanmar. So when you're interested in people, they're also interested in you. Right. And you become friends. Right. So uh, at the back, uh, so the, the person that Mr. Yeo mentioned, he said, and I'm quoting, I have met few people like him who live and enjoy every moment of life. His abiding love for China because of his roots is understandable, but his love affair with India led me to remark once that in his previous birth he must have been an, an Indian. <laughs> so, you know, it was so funny when, when, when they said that to me in front of others. Okay. <laughs> but in my heart, I felt it was such a high compliment you know, mm. to, be, to be thought of like that. And it, it, it touched me. It touched me and it, it made me feel so happy right. that he, he, he felt for me, he, he knew I felt for him. Right. And if we can do that to one another, isn't that wonderful? It's absolutely, yeah. absolutely. In fact, I, I mean, just as Mr. Yeo was saying, just before we came in and he, uh, he asked me um, about my name and I was, I was quite surprised because not, I mean, of course, I expect him to know, but not many Singaporeans have asked me that, uh, that question before. Uh, and so, would you say that your interpretation of uh, the rise of China in this book uh, is quite favourable and you see China as largely a benign force, uh, whereas uh, others may not see that way? And, and I'm thinking, what is the difference? Wouldn't big, big powers behave as big powers do because they are able to? But you have a, maybe a slightly different interpretation because you give a lot of weight to the cultural makeup of a country. Am I right to say that or did I misinterpret? Your... Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, when we talk about a complex reality like a civilization, it's important to know its history, to understand its values and its nature. And we may at first be uh, troubled that, oh, you're so big, you've got claws, so maybe you're aggressive. But then as I look at your history, if I look at how you behave in natural habitat, then we come to a conclusion that, oh, you have a different nature. Mm. Yeah. And every culture, every civilization, every nationality has its own nature. And, and we are dealing with it, whether as a trade minister, or as a foreign minister, or, or as a cultural minister. It's, it's, it, it improves communication. 
when, when you understand this background, then we go beyond uh, stereotypes and uh, simplifications, mm. which very often lead to wrong conclusions and bad decisions. Right, okay. So, and it is your assessment that China's history has shown that it is not a tiger to be feared. Uh, no, I won't say that. <laughs> no, no, China is big. And because it's big, sometimes it's bossy without realizing it's bossy. So my book, I talk about some situations when they, 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 they boss me around. Mm. And where I thought they had good reason to, to be, then, well, I took a step to the side. No, no point being in the way. But when they were unreasonable, then we have to assert reason. Right. As, as I talked about the, the satellite uh, story, you know. Right, right. Yeah. So, and, and because we understand them, we know that when we make certain moves, they will react in certain ways, mm. you see. And the idea is try and nudge each other towards a win-win position. Okay. But if you don't understand the person culturally, you may end up nudging both parties into a win-win, lose-lose quarter, right. which is very bad. And, and you think that Americans are doing that? I don't think Americans understand China. And they think that China is like them. That China wants to make the whole world Chinese. The way Americans want the whole world to be American. And they do it sometimes uh, from a good heart. You know, because mm -hmm. they feel that what they have is, is, is the best thing on earth. Therefore, wouldn't it be wonderful if you were also like me? So they go around uh, judging people, whether they, they are like them, and how much they fall short of being like them. It's, it's a bit funny, you know, it's like they go around a trick bar and say, okay, uh, Singapore, you are 6 upon 10, Malaysia, you are 7 upon 10, oh, you are 5 upon 10. <laughs> but they themselves, of course, 10 upon 10. <laughs> you know? So we, we know this, so it's okay, we play along, we play along. But when they go to China and say, hey, you are 2 upon 10, China will say, who are you to tell me this? Yeah. But we are a small country, so, so we, 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 we play along. But in the case of China, they have a different sense of themselves. And when the Americans are against them, they know this is something very serious. Which is why uh, in the current situation today, uh, China is very, uh, it's very worried. A lot of the things they are doing is because they know that the Americans are insecure about China's rise and are doing many things to slow China down, even to pull it down. So they are taking defensive measures and they are preparing the people for a periodic crisis, yeah. and which may even be occasionally be violent. So this is the situation that we are in today. It makes the world a little tense, uh, but these are forces we are not control. Right. So I I've uh, listened to a few of your interviews, and you uh, I think you point out the the lack of uh, criticisms or critical thinking towards you know Western outlets like New York Times and all of that, and all of those sentiments I absolutely share. I think that there is that that bias, especially in perhaps more liberal circles, you tend to think, oh New York Times, this must be gospel truth, right? When it comes with its own biases and and all of that, I guess from a uh, as a political scientist, I'm thinking, why is that same skepticism uh, not given towards China, who is also a big power, who also has the potential to to be hegemonic in the way that America has? Oh, I, I, I have the same skepticism about China. Okay. okay. So, so I, I, I read about China and the economies in the New York Times. Also, I read about how China covers itself, mm. or about how Al Jazeera covers China. 
So it's important to have uh, different perspectives in order to get at the underlying reality because all perspectives are coloured. Mm. And, 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 and it's, it's important to know uh, how any view from a perspective is distorted by that perspective. Right. Then we will make allowances. Right. Objective is to get at the truth. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. I think that, that clarified, uh, clarified a lot of things for me. So uh, let's move on to more domestically, but still related to identity. Right? So SEP universities. By the way, I wanted to clarify also, uh, Mr. Yo does talk about the importance of having a and it's Singapore Islamic College as well. So I think it was lost. Uh, that was lost because the headlines were about the SEP universities. Uh, so the SEP universities, and you specifically mentioned uh, our university, Anchi, and and mine, uh, NTU, as the natural candidate to have the SEP uh, university, no, for economic reasons, cultural reasons, you know, enhancing. And uh, I guess what uh, what would be the outcome for multiracialism? And as minorities, uh, do you think that is, oh, already we have SEP schools, do you think this would actually, because you did hint at this in another, another interview, when somebody asserts their identity, people become defensive. Do you think this will make minorities more defensive? But it can be mishandled, and, 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 and when we make such moves, we should be very respectful and explain why it is good for the community as a whole. Uh, our Malays in Singapore, our Indians in Singapore better off if the Chinese in Singapore have special connections to China. I think this is very good for our economy. And I know in Malaysia, even Indonesia now, many non-Chinese are learning Chinese mm. because they, they could see the future. Uh, you know, my old friend, the former Malaysian Foreign Minister, Anifat Anand, mm. uh, he's from Sabah. And his children all went to Chinese schools. Mm. Yeah. And I think his youngest brother went to a Chinese school because his father said, you know, you must anticipate the future. Right. And uh, I would take a relaxed view that if I were Malay or Chinese, some of us uh, should also take Chinese as a third language because it can be very useful. Mm. Uh, many uh, Ang Mo's who are here, young children, when I meet them, I say, hey, get your children to study Chinese. It will be the greatest gift you can give them in their lives. Mm. Yeah. So rather than seeing a SEP school or SEP university as threatening, I should see it as something which gives me more opportunities. But of course, every, um, every group in Singapore should, should have an identity which is cherished by everyone. That's why I have an entire chapter on the Eurasian community. Yeah. I, I was a little upset when the latest census report came out so my, because I've been associated with the Eurasian community for a long time. So I wanted to know how they're doing. Hey, everything is subsumed under others. I said, what's happening? So one day I was talking to uh, a former president of the EA. He said, oh, the explanation given was, you know, you're a small community and if, if, we, if we identify you, others want to be identified, then it becomes very messy and complicated. I said, wait a minute. When Singapore was formed, we had four arms, right? It's on our stamps, it's in our banknotes. The fourth arm was on other arm. <laughs> that fourth arm was the Eurasian arm, you know? Why have we forgotten the Eurasians? So, we must cherish the littlest among us. And that's why all Swiss know that they're not just Germans, French, and Italian. 
there also were men. She don't go men, she's a tiny community. They have the roots to ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. They have a language which goes to Latin, uh, closest to Latin. I mean, right. Italian is also a Latin language. And they know that this was the original formation, and therefore it must not be forgotten. Other communities might have since grown larger, but this is a founding community. Right. And the Eurasians are a founding community. Right. And, and it's one of the great joy, joys and um, uh, one of the great pride in my life to have been representative in cabinet when Italy Barker retired. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I give you a special chapter right. and I made this point in <coughs> the first paragraph. Right, exactly. So it was the first, very first paragraph. I mean, you mentioned that you are upset that it was others and not Eurasian. So I'm not really upset. I'm disappointed. It's saddened. Okay, okay. So, uh, Wait, so it's a statement not just about government. It's a statement about... Society, right? About us. Yeah, right? about society. Yeah. Yeah, so. I met young people who said, Oh, thank you for writing about the Eurasian community. I didn't know mm-hmm. we are such a community. Mm-hmm. I thought... Wow, we didn't know we have such a community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> something, something missing right. in the education system. Right. So you talk about uh, my concern about the training of uh, Muslim leaders in Singapore. Because I visited our students in, in the Hadrama, in the in yeah. Al-Azhar, in Damascus. I wanted to see them, to have a sense of um, what they were learning. You know? And I was worried that unless we have a core education in Singapore. We may be pulled in different directions. And MOIS is worried about that, especially when we had the GI problem. And they started taking a closer interest in what our religious students studied when they were overseas. So uh, I only touched on it very lightly right. in the first book. Uh, I'll have two chapters on Islam okay. in my second book, right. where I treat this subject with, with in greater detail. Right, right, okay. So, but none of the JI members were from madrasas or they went overseas, right? So, this was, this can happen independently of that. Right? You know, our, after ISD got involved, ISD didn't quite know how to, to handle them because this was not just ordinary miscreants, you know? So, they asked the, the the imams to go in. The imams at first were very suspicious. Right, right. Nothing to do with us. Why, right, why right. are you getting... Right, right, right. Isaac kind of said, hey, we don't understand them. You try and mm. figure them out. So when they went to meet these detainees, they found out that they were having theological conversations. Mm. And after a while, when they went back, they said, look, there's a deep problem here because this is a cancer, you know. Mm. Islam is being perverted to become an extremist ideology and the justification is Islam itself so the immunological response has to have its roots in Islam right which means that it has to be a religious right discourse right and the religious uh, leaders of Islam are the ones who have the authority to do it right not not so, the government. So at the yeah. time I was talking to some of our religious leaders and they said yeah, they, they saw a difference yeah. those who graduated from Al-Azhar those who graduated from Medina those who graduated from Ruba, they were different. Mm. Yeah. Right, in terms and, and you did mention that uh, in the book as well. And and I, I, I think that was actually Minister Yaakov Ibrahim's idea, right? Singapore Islamic College, which he wanted to implement as well, but he I, I don't know what happened to the implementation, but, but this but idea has been on and off for right, some right. time. If it's an idea from within the Muslim community, the non-Muslims will look at it in a certain way. 
but since I'm not a Muslim, right, and right, I, right. I do have vested interest in that. Right. But <laughs> let me say it. <laughs> I'm sure Yakub will be happy. <laughs> he's watching. He's watching. Oh, he's watching. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, the, the set. Uh, so I want to go back to the set units because uh, for volume 2 and 3, so I, that's why I didn't want to judge this book by itself, right? Because this book, you're setting the ground. So uh, when I, I hear you, when I read uh, you talk about uh, set universities and all, I mean, a part of me do go, oh my God, as in, will Singapore become more Chinese, right? As a minority, will Singapore become more Chinese? So will, and I'm sure there are other minorities who, who think like that as well. I mean, as you know, I, I am in favor of set schools for the same reason that you, uh, that you want the set university. But, you know, many people are not in favor of the set schools, right? They say, even many Chinese who go to set schools now, they cannot speak Chinese properly, <laughs> which you didn't read reference and stuff. So, uh, don't you think this will open the can of worms of, of race uh, antagonism even more? No, there's, there's always that fear, and if we mismanage it, that can happen. If we manage it well, I think we can have the best of both worlds. Mm. We have something which will strengthen the Chinese core in Singapore, which is very important as China becomes more important to our lives. At the same time, it can be done in a way which benefits all races and all Singaporeans. Right. Provided we maintain internal balance and look after the cultural and religious needs of every community. Right. Right. Thank you. And uh, just I, I was just thinking because Professor Tommy Koh, when, when we interviewed him, he was very adamant that uh, Singaporean students should learn an ASEAN language as well, uh, Malay especially, but also the other ASEAN languages, you know. Uh, do you think, because you are very pro-ASEAN as well, right? So, uh, do you think that's also useful for... Well, Malay was my second language in school. Right. And to me, it's a little disappointing that even basic Malay uh, is not known by many Singaporeans. Right. And they're more interested to take or German or Korean or French as a third language. Because they're considered atas, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or they watch Korean dramas, I don't know, but... but how can we not know Bahasa? Yeah, How can yeah, we? Yeah. I mean, some of us should know Thai. Many yeah. kids, many Singaporeans do know Thai. Right, yeah. Some of us should learn Vietnamese. Yeah. This is a region. Right. And, and the more we know our region, the better our life. Yeah. The more secure we will be because we will then strengthen ASEAN. And the other day, my wife organized a, a charity concert in Botanic Gardens. It was on August the 7th. So I told her, August the 7th is the day we celebrate ASEAN Day. ASEAN Day is on August the 8th, but because it's on the eve of National Day, in Singapore, we always celebrate it on August the 7th. I said, why do you get people to sing the ASEAN Anthem? Mm. So, MFA said, oh, when, when you sing that, the ASEAN Anthem, everybody must stand up. So everybody stood up. And for most of the Singaporeans who were there, it was the first time they heard the ASEAN Anthem. You know, I learned it. I've forgotten it, but I've learned it. In fact, when I was in my office in MFA, I actually tried to remember all the words. Mm. And I tried to pursue the education ministry to teach it to our students. Mm. And we should sing it from time to time. And no market. No market. <laughs> I know they're already so busy, they have so many things to do, the syllabus is already so cramped. How can you impose additional burden on them? Burden on them. No, I think it's so important to our future. 
Now we see a titanic struggle between uh, the West and China, between America and China, and Singapore will be caught in between. Yeah. We need ASEAN to be our buffer, right. you know, then we can all hide behind ASEAN. Yeah. And you specifically mentioned Indonesia as critical for this, but hiding behind. But yes. Singaporeans don't appreciate that uh, generally. Like, we think of ASEAN as some backwater. <laughs> We don't appreciate the importance of Indonesia or the international space. Yeah, we see ASEAN no up, which to me is a very big mistake. Mm. Yeah. ASEAN is a very important part of our security and our future. Mm. And in some ways, we can take the lead. Because if we teach all our students to sing the ASEAN anthem, you know, when the, our neighbors come here and they can't sing it, right. Magu. Right, right, right. Then they will teach their students. Right. Then they will spread. Mm. It's a good thing. Right. For this reason, when I was foreign minister, I tried to push the idea of ASEAN as a whole making a bid for the World Cup. Of course, this requires some rules to be changed in the world. Yeah. Actually, lobbied uh, Yang Jiechi, who was at the time China foreign minister. <coughs> he supported us probably in the year 2034 or something. He smiled and said, China will support ASEAN. Because China stands no chance. He <laughs> <laughs> was so friendly. I said, wow. <laughs> and he was speaking to foreign minister. I discussed this with uh, uh, Kazana's uh, uh, Tantri Asman. He was very keen. So this boy has been kicked around, but still not properly kicked. Right. So I hope that we will do it. And you know, each country can have one stadium. Right. Yeah, and after it's the region is it's right. not, not so big, and uh, you create a sense of solidarity. Sports right. is very important. I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you sound almost exactly like what uh, Prof Ko was saying. It's almost <laughs> the, the stuff that you're saying. So I just wanted to uh, uh, end this question uh, on on the following note. So would it be fair to say that your suggestion for the set units must be accompanied by strengthening of uh, the other communities' cultural rights as well, and including like teaching Malay and even the other ASEAN languages. Yes, yeah. yes, okay. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so thank you for that. I think that, uh, that, that definitely clarifies. That would, I think, uh, assuage a lot of people's concerns about, about uh, the idea of SEP universities. So if we could uh, move on to domestic politics, is that okay? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you know, since the left government, I yeah. kind of stayed away from domestic politics. Right. Because it's not good for me to criticize uh, my colleagues or my own party, uh, especially after I've left and don't have all the information. Uh, I know how difficult it is in, in their positions, so I'm always a little reluctant okay. to talk about uh, domestic politics. But you try. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. It. Yes. So. Uh, 2011, it wasn't my political awakening, but that was the first election I could vote in. And so, you know, the atmosphere was hot. I want to I I ask you whom you vote <laughs> So, uh, the atmosphere was super hot. I mean, even 2015, I don't think it was. And 2020 was a pandemic, of course. And I remember in one of your final uh, rally speeches, and you mentioned somebody coming up to you and said that I like you. But I'm not gonna vote for you because MM Lee mentioned the repent. Do you remember that speech? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I remember vividly. So by and then I was thinking uh, during that time, did you feel that your party actually helped you enough or do you think there was a point in time where they said, ah, leave it, leave it to yourself, your own devices and see what, what you can do? No, there, there were there were postmortems 
and I of course have repeated it many times in my own mind. Uh, I don't think uh, additional party support would have changed the outcome because the desire uh, for an opposition in parliament was so strong. Our junior GRC at the time surrounded our gun. Yeah. Like uh, like an egg, quite surrounding an egg yolk. Right. So it had to be the breakout had to be through our junior. So we, we we took the heat and we took the fall. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't blame the party, even though uh, MS remarks were rather similar strange to me <laughs> <laughs> at, that, at that time. Right, right. I'll, so I'll I, talk a little about it in my third book. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, okay. okay I, mean, I, think that, I think a lot of people really want to know uh, what happened, you know, because I, I'm sure that those remarks caught you by surprise as well, right? Uh, you have to repent. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, surprise is very I understand. Easy, easy, easy. <laughs> okay, okay. So, uh, I also remember at that point in time because people didn't know where uh, Mr. Lau was going to go. Uh, there was speculation that he was probably going to go to Monmen Kalam where Yakub was, uh, Professor Yakub was, and uh, but he chose perhaps. At that time, I remember that you were touted as one of the most, if not the, the most popular PAP minister. Right? So they probably chose the hardest ground they could, they could have. Why, why did they go to Aljunia and not Momen Kalam or others surrounding Aljunia? It was very strange, you know. Yeah. They, no, they never criticised me in the campaigns. They yeah. prayed, they praised yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, they helped set up a site, uh, yes. uh, vote. Uh, yeah, George the presidency. Sylvia mentioned that in the speech. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was never any ill will. Yeah. You never criticized me throughout the entire campaign. Yeah. It was a little surrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> so you still don't know. You haven't met Mr. Lau and asked him why why Aljunet? Why not? Oh no, we we Oh no, I didn't ask him right, why right. he chose Aljunet. I knew why of course he right. I would also have chosen Arjunit because of the geography, because of the way the, 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 the boundaries were drawn. Uh, I remember meeting them in Istana uh, for the swearing in, I was, I was still a guest. And uh, oh, they're very warm. Uh, and Pritam, who was a young politi politician at that time, was particularly warm to me. Yeah. So I, and subsequently, when I was. Uh, a gym session in SRC on my way out, Silverlin drove in because uh, Kwa Kim Song was there, uh, whom I knew at the gym. And she said, Oh, can I take a picture with you? I said, Oh, of course. So, no, no, there's no. no right. Not no, any more sort no, 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 not at all. That's really nice to hear also, I think, because uh, I think a lot of people think your political opponents are your foes, <laughs> your real life foes, <laughs> as in, in general, but they shouldn't be. Or I must say that uh, among my opponents during the time in politics, uh, the great majority were, were, were courteous mm. and, and we respected right. each other. That's, yeah. that's, that's really uh, heartwarming mm. to hear. <coughs> so can I try my luck again? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what if you were still in the party, what would you have done differently in GE 2020? G2020? Yeah. 
if you were still in the CEC, for instance, and you were planning, like what? Because where, where did it go wrong when things were poised for a huge PAP victory? But something went wrong somewhere. So what is there anything the PAP could have done? No, I don't think so. I, I think the, the, the results were within uh, uh, the ballpark of expectation. Okay. Mm. I, I live at uh, East Coast. Okay. Uh, and, okay. and that was a marginal constituency. Right. And uh, because Hing Sui Kiat went there, so it tipped uh, things over, and the PAP won the GRC when he could have lost the GRC. Mm. Uh, as for the other constituencies, frankly, I, I don't know enough, because I was uh, traveling back and forth between Hong Kong and Singapore, spending more time in Hong Kong than in Singapore, so a little out of touch. And for six months in 2017, 2018, I was with my wife in Houston when she was being treated for a very deadly cancer. Right, okay. So, sorry to, to hear that. But, no, she, she's yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, but, but still, the experience yeah, is still... Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's all places to go. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so thank you so much. Um, so, uh, GD22, I guess, I guess, Maybe this, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to ask you to, to comment on it as well. Uh, so, but let's let's talk about something that people have asked you so many times. You've given the clearest answer, but people still ask you whether you're going to run for the president. I, I'm not going to ask no. you because <laughs> I'm not going to ask you because uh, you've already said no, and that's it. Uh, but you did mention in the book you were preparing for the pre- presidency in 2011. So is this in volume two or three? Also, in volume three. Oh, volume three. <laughs> So can you share a little bit or shall we leave it for second interview when the book comes up? <laughs> leave it for a second cup of tea time. <laughs> okay, second cup of tea time. Okay, time over. This, this is a promise. It's already catching in. Okay, so, and okay, one of the, during your time, and I, one of the interviews, were, this was with Yahoo, and I found it fascinating that you actually said the most difficult ministry was information and the arts, and when people think of your portfolio, people think oh, this is the easiest, this is the most, uh, the least important. But you said that is where you actually had to be a diplomat managing all these sensitive issues. Right? And one of the things, one of the perhaps your most famous speech was the Banyan Tree speech, and you were really seen as uh, the progressive within PDP, right? Uh, so, do you think that? you uh, open up the space enough for diverging viewpoints because when you were in cabinet well well you said that but at the same time there were other things that happened you know like there were defamation suits against maybe opposition politicians or Catherine Lim which I know that uh, you said you don't think that's uh, nothing happened to her but for an ordinary citizen to be publicly criticized by the government or prime minister still it's still a big deal. Like if I was publicly criticized now, my wife would be so scared or something <laughs> by the PAP. Right? Although I think it's fair game, you're right. No, 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 no. If you criticize the Prime Minister, I agree. and the Prime Minister criticizes you back, why, why should you be no, surprised? No, I agree, I agree. I think it's fair game. I think it's fair game. But would you say that that leads to this uh, chilling effect or the idea that, okay, while the government says we can open up or we should open up, but the moment you criticize something, oh, the knuckle duster. <laughs> I think it's alright. If you are so sensitive, then, then measure your words. Mm. But if you want to be hard hitting, then be prepared that the other side will be hard hitting. Mm. Okay. 
I think that's not unfair, isn't it? I, I, I think it's not. <coughs> I think it's not. So if, I mean, if gratuitously the Prime Minister pummels you because you, 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 didn't, you didn't look friendly, then I say that's excessive. <laughs> <laughs> but but, if you, but if, you, if you point blank say the Prime Minister is a foolish man or whatever, then of course Prime Minister has to fight back. Right, right, right. So I guess that's one way, and I think it's fair. But uh, if would this way also be okay, let's say, Catherine criticizes the Prime Minister. Then the Prime Minister calls Catherine. Let's have a, an interview, and then you ask me, and then we can settle our differences through that. You know, because you know, uh, when when people speak to each other, right, there's always some decorum that we, we maintain. Yeah, right? I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. So wouldn't it always be better to to go there rather than? And this is the reason why it's very important when we make comments that we put our, our real names to it rather than hide behind the screen, okay. behind the pseudonym, then you can afford to be rude. Okay. No one knows who you are. Uh, I know Catherine Lane, she's a friend, so I, I feel very awkward about giving her as a, the, the, the reference point of the organization. <laughs> but I would say this generally, that you talk about defamation suits, I mean, I can see your point, uh, but if it's something which is very injurious to the offended party, then the offended party may say, look, the only redress I can have is take you to court. You may say, well, that's overdoing it. Uh, well, well, maybe I don't have to take you to court if you, if you, if you, if you, if you correct your, 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 your view. But if you refuse, then, well, mm -hmm. the only civilized way of resolving an issue is, is to go to court. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why you have libel laws. Uh, but I know this, this is something which Singaporeans are not happy about, that the uh, defamation suits are resorted to um, Fairly often, right? Yeah. But, uh, but that, that was never the case with Catherine Lim. Yeah, yeah. So definitely not. So Catherine Lim uh, is not. Uh, yeah. She wasn't so or anything. Yeah. So, oh, thanks for mentioning that your friends with her. So yeah. So I, I actually. Well, know. we're not close friends, but yeah, yeah, we met friends, friends, socially. Yeah. We've chatted, and they, they, yeah. they've never been unpleasant exchanges. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned also. I've not spoken to her for some years now. Okay. Yeah, but my recollection of my interactions with her have all been pleasant. So you, you mentioned uh, in the same interview that politicians need to be thick-skinned. <laughs> Do you think our Singaporean politicians sometimes are too thin-skinned when, when getting criticism? Hard to, Basically. Hard to generalize. I think, I think some uh, have elephant heights. <laughs> <laughs> some have very elegant skin. I mean, it's okay. Okay, it's so there's... Like, yeah. They're full of human beings. Okay, so, uh, I was going to ask about the presidency, but we'll save that. Uh, so I thought we passed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. the question. <laughs> so, you've spoken about uh, Section 377 as well. And this is not a new issue, of course, as Minister of Information and Arts. I'm sure this was another issue that, that you faced. Uh, what do you think about the how the entire issue has been out? And, what are your thoughts on it and how the government has handled it? No, I think it's good that the government has taken a new position because the previous one, where you say the law stays in place but it will not be enforced, I didn't think that was tenable and it made the law look bad. Uh, now we said, no, it's, 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 not, it's not criminal and therefore it's not subject to uh, public prosecution. I think that's a good move. Uh, people were afraid that this is a slippery slope uh, to... to other things like, like gay marriage, which, you were, which many people are very uncomfortable about. Of course, we, 
there's a there's a mood in the world, you know. Um, we try to maintain uh, the structure of the family. So government has said the constitution will be amended uh, so that what constitutes marriage will be defined by parliament mm. and not be defined by judges. Right. We think it's good because parliament is directly accountable to Singaporeans. Right. Judges are not. So it's good that on an issue like this, which is important to Singaporeans, that this is a matter which government will decide. And government says, this government believes that marriage is between man and woman, and that it's for parliament to decide, and not for judges to decide. Mm. So they've clarified an important position, which provides some comfort. Uh, but of course, uh, there's a group who feels that government is not going far enough. There are other groups who feel the government is also not confined enough mm. <laughs> in different directions. <laughs> so in the end, it's always uh, balancing. Uh, balance. Uh, I remember when I became minister for information in the arts and um, reviewed censorship rules, which government wanted me to do. Uh, I had one lunch one day with Lee Kuan Yew, and they said. Uh, the important thing is to keep our society wholesome. What do you mean wholesome? It's so subjective. Yeah. But, but all of us, especially when we are parents, have a sense of what constitutes a wholesome environment. What kids do at school, in camp, in their own rooms, we may not know. We may not even want to know. But when they are with us in a dining room, in the living room, and we are vacationing together, we expect certain behavioural norms. And you know, they say uh, uh, hypocrisy is a, is a complement vice space to virtue. <laughs> you, see, you must always maintain high ground. And, and, and that high ground should be wholesome. It doesn't mean society will be perfect. Society is never perfect. It doesn't mean that you you want everything to be wholesome. That's not possible. And you make a society suffocating. But the, the areas which are open, which are brightly lit, they should always be wholesome. Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's not sufficient to guide action, but it's a kind of an animating spirit right. in what we do in Singapore. Right. So, I, I mean, <coughs> I'm a Muslim and I think you are, you are a Catholic and a philosophical Taoist, uh, which I got from the book. and. Uh, so I definitely believe in uh, in marriage between marriage should be between a man and a woman. But I guess for a secular state that Singapore professes to be, why should uh, my religious beliefs right, impinge on the rights of others? I guess what is a good secular reason to ban gay marriage? Is there any? If marriage is just uh, an agreement. A financial agreement, which government is a party to and therefore confers certain rights upon the individual, then yes, you're right, it doesn't matter. But if marriage is something more than that, which is why we surround it with ceremony, which is why we make vows, then it is sacred. Mm. Now you may say, well, what is sacredness? Mm. It's hard to define, it's hard to agree on what is sacredness. But we all know that because marriages result in children, it must be something more than just an agreement and therefore should have a special place in the way society is organized. Mm -hmm. And when we analyze 
see problems in other societies. I think many of us, of course, we may disagree. We always point it to the breakdown of the family because the family is where values are transmitted, knowledge is transmitted, and everyday society replicates itself by the way it educates its young. Okay, thank you, thank you so much. So just just one final question. So a lot of uh, young people uh, they are saying that you know the government is not opening up more, especially you know on discussions on race and religion. Always there's a law. There's a law here. There's Pofma there. There's Fika. <laughs> Every corner you turn, there's some law like waiting to to get you right. So, do you think it is time? Like, if you were to advise, not not to interfere, but to advise, uh, DPM Lawrence Wong and his team. You know, you know Min Ong very well. Like, would you say, you know, this is something you need to relax. You don't need to be in control all the time. Allow people to criticize you and. And allow for more discussions. Just take a step back. Would you, you do you think now is the right time to do that, or we are not there? There's never a right time. There's always a tension. There's always a conversation. You cannot say I want a situation where there's no more tension, where things are so settled that there's no further need for debate or argument. The tension is in every family. How we raise our children between father and mother, among siblings, among older ones and younger ones. There's always a tension as to how much is too much. Are we too tight? Are we too loose? Are we too tight in this situation? Are we too loose in the other situation? And sometimes things happen and we say, oh, I made a mistake, I should have been stricter or firmer. Or I should have been less prescriptive and uh, given him more space. So during COVID, when we're all living in a very compressed environment, there are a lot of psychological problems. And when you are stuck in a so small space, little things become mm. become irritants. So this struggle for the right balance, I think, is it's not a bad thing. It is part of life. And we should not see it as, oh, because we are always debating this, there's something wrong with us. Not at all. If we stop debating it, right. then there's something wrong with us. Right. If parents stop wondering whether the balance is right, they are no longer being parents. <laughs> they have ceased to care. Right. So I don't see it as a bad thing at all. Okay. Of course, I may say, oh, in this situation, uh, we should be more relaxed. Yeah, but I may say that my wife may disagree with me. So I cannot be telling the minister, no, you should follow me, <laughs> because he will say, well, how do I follow your wife? And his wife may disagree. Sounds like my story. <laughs> Okay, so just light-hearted, let's end off on a light-hearted, uh, reconciliatory note, you know, you know, because now you're sort of a statesman, right? So I'll, I'll ask you... No, 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 I'm not a statesman. <laughs> I'm, I'm a retired. I'll ask you yeah. uh, uh, for your favourite favorite current PAP person and your favourite opposition person. Wow, that's very... That's very ambiguous. It's very ambiguous. It's like, you know, the Chinese... The Americans say no, China is uh, no, no allies. You <laughs> see, uh, we have so many allies. <laughs> China said, the moment you identify ally, you identify an enemy. Oh, that's true. Yes, that's the case of definitely. Let's just answer to you. Uh, see, see, he's the, the foreign affairs minister in him, never left. So, thank you so much, Mr. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I look forward to. 
uh, books two and three and interviews two and three. <laughs> so okay, we met you. We met you. Okay, let's check on it. <laughs> okay, bye bye, bye bye, everyone. Okay.